0: My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickle's and Dimes, where every episode is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. If you're in a room with 60 people, what are the odds that any two of you will share a birthday? I've run this experiment in my undergraduate business class several times, and people always get it wrong you might think to estimate the answer by dividing 60 by 360 which reduces to 1 6 which equals about 17 percent but in reality with just 60 people in a room the odds are 99 percent that someone will share a birthday with someone else so why do we get this question wrong and by orders of magnitude wrong well for one we're generally not very good at estimating probabilities for this particular birthday question the trick is to think about all of the possible combinations of shared birthdays So for example, I might share a birthday with any of the 59 other people, but person two could share a birthday with the remaining 58 other people, and person three could share a birthday with the remaining 57 other people, and so on. So with just 60 people in a room, there are 1,170 possible combinations. That's why the odds are 99%, which is 60 people. In fact, with just 24 people in a room, the odds are greater than 50% that one person will share a birthday with another. This simple example, while mostly useless itself, actually has surprisingly profound implications. Whenever there are lots of possible combinations, it's a mathematical certainty that there will be lots of coincidences or correlations. One of my favorite correlations is the Washington winner. From 1936 to 2000, the outcome of the U.S. presidential election was perfectly correlated with the Washington Commander's final home game each year. If you wanted to know who would win the U.S. presidential election, the incumbent party, or the challenging party, all you had to do was check to see whether the commanders won or lost their final home game in the election years. If the commanders won their final home game in an election year, then the party that was already in office was going to win. If the commanders lost, however, then the challenging party would win. But of course, this was just a coincidence, a spurious correlation. As with the birthday example, if you look at lots of possible combinations, for example, every possible stat from every possible sport at every possible level and every possible political outcome, you are mathematically guaranteed to find a bunch of coincidences or correlations. Though lots of correlations are spurious, they're just coincidences, other correlations aren't spurious but still aren't causally related. For example, ice cream sales and drownings are positively correlated but not causally related. Every summer, as ice cream sales go up, so do drownings. These are both correlated, but there's no reason to believe that eating ice cream causes more drownings, or vice versa. Rather, in this case, we can easily identify a common cause for the correlation—the warm temperature. As it gets warmer, more people eat ice cream, and more people swim. This is an example of correlations that have a common cause. While both spurious correlations and common cause correlations can be interesting, they really aren't that helpful for us. What we really want to know is whether correlations are causally related whether one thing causes another. Trying to disentangle correlation from causation is one of the greatest challenges we face as humans. You might think I'm exaggerating the point, but if anything, I think we vastly underappreciate it. Think of all the times we've heard someone give an explanation for why they are successful. Some people credit their success to waking up early each day, others credit their success to working late, some credit their success to reading, others credit their success to persistence. But what every explanation fails to take into account is the counterfactual. No one ever knows how things would have turned out for them had they behaved differently. Disentangling correlation from causation is actually much harder than most of us realize. For example, if I start to feel sick on Monday and I drink a bunch of orange juice, and then I start feeling better on Wednesday, I've found a positive correlation. Drinking orange juice was positively correlated with getting better. However, what I haven't found is whether drinking orange juice caused me to get better, because I'll never know what would have happened had I not drank the orange juice. I'll never know the counterfactual. And with just a little bit of effort, we can come up with lots of alternative explanations for why I got better. Maybe the cold was just a mild one that my body healed on its own. Maybe what I thought was a cold was just an allergic reaction. Maybe something I ate for lunch on Tuesday helped me heal. Or something I drank on Monday. Or something I ate Saturday before I got sick that was still in my system counteracting the sickness. We see patterns all the time. Our brains are pattern detectors, correlation detectors, but they're not great causal detectors and for good reason. We never have access to true counterfactuals. But the good news is that our species has developed a workaround, and it's actually how I spend the majority of my time as an academic. The greatest tool we have to identify causal relationships is to run experiments, randomized controlled experiments. If we get a large number of people to participate in an experiment, and then randomly divide them into two groups, we can be reasonably confident that the two groups, on average, will be essentially the same on a surprisingly number of characteristics. Then if we give one group of people a treatment, for example the orange juice, and the other group we hold constant. don't give them the orange juice, we have created an artificial counterfactual. We can see what happens to the group that drinks the orange juice, and we can compare it to the group that didn't drink the orange juice. If the results between the two groups differ, we can be reasonably confident that it was the orange juice that led to the change, because we held everything else constant. We've disentangled a correlation from a causation. But so what? Why does this matter? Ultimately, we want to know what will make us happy or successful. But the correlates of happiness and success are much less interesting than the causes of happiness and success. And recognizing that correlation is not necessarily causation may be the first step in helping us make the right decisions that will cause happiness and success. As Annie Duke says, there are only two things that determine the quality of our lives, luck and the decisions we make. And maybe the most important factor in helping us make good decisions starts with understanding that correlation doesn't always equal causation. It's a simple idea, please take it seriously.